The, uh, the scripture reading today is uh, from Galatians 5, 1, and then 13 through 25. It's found, uh, in your pew Bible, it's found on pages 1,221 through 22. I'd encourage everybody to try to read along today, because this is also part of our worship besides the, the, uh, the message and the music as well. Verse 1. It says, uh, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Then the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature deserves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. All right. Well, welcome back to our Keys to Freedom series. This is, uh, well, it's the sixth key of seven. So next week will be the last week of our Keys to Freedom study. If you've been working through the study guide with us, um, you know, whether, whether you've done an A-plus job of every day getting it just right or whether you've missed entire weeks of it, um, jump back in <laughs> with, with a new uh, renewed commitment here down this back stretch and, and let's finish strong uh, through this series together. Uh, I think these last two weeks obviously are, are critical as we, uh, especially next week, talk about maintaining freedom um, because sometimes, you know, we, we come to uh, a new freedom in Christ and then if we're not careful, we end up falling back into uh, stuff. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well, uh, falling back into old patterns. And so uh, today we're talking about choosing freedom over oppression. And oppression is kind of a maybe an odd word, but, you know, as we talk about keys to freedom. We're talking about setting people free to live the life God designed us to live originally. And, and oppression can come in any form of, of pressure on you to live in a way that's different from what God designed. Uh, so sometimes when we hear that word oppression, we have a certain thing in mind or a very extreme thing in mind. For you, it may look different from the next person. Uh, and maybe it's not what you would typically classify as oppression. But if it's pressure on you to live in a way different from the way God designed you to live, then it's something you need freedom from in your life. And so this series, all along, we've said that it's not about 
uh, just behaving different. We're not trying to do behavior modification here. We're not re, uh, you know, helping you realign your life with the rules as if that's going to fix the problem. Uh, instead, this is trying to get to the root of the problem and helping us become the people that God wants us to be. And we don't, we have said all along as well that we're not expecting to leave this thing perfect, but we're expecting to leave this series equipped, better equipped to live as disciples of Jesus. And what a disciple of Jesus does is they journey towards the character of Christ in their life. They journey towards what it would look like for Jesus to be living out their life. Uh, and, and so that's, that's a little bit different than, than you trying to live Jesus' life because you'd have to travel around the countryside uh, and do some miracles, right? But if we try to figure out if Jesus were in my shoes and if Jesus were, you know, working wherever I work and living in my home and if his family was this family that I have, how would he interact in this? And so that's our journey as disciples. That's what these keys to freedom are designed to help us do, to free us to live the life that God designed for us to live, which um, we see most accurately portrayed in Jesus himself. As we think about freedom from oppression, uh, you know, we can think of examples from history and, and how that played out. Uh, you know, perhaps you think of George Washington, you may not be uh, you know, clear on this aspect of, of U.S. history, but what actually happened was that George Washington was out hunting one day, and he thought he saw a red deer. And so he shot it. Well, it turns out it was all the redcoats, and most of them fell over dead. And the ones that didn't surrendered on the spot, and that's how we want our freedom, right? Uh, and you may have heard how, how slavery was ended. You know, and all the slaves were set free. What they may not have told you was that actually there was this weird sickness going around amongst southern plantation owners at that time. Uh, and the sneeze, instead of sounding like a hachu, sounded like a, you're free. And all of a sudden, everyone was free. Because it just happens by accident, right? These things. Freedom. Have you ever heard of anyone getting set free by accident? Like, whoops, <laughs> I'm free. It doesn't happen. Freedom always comes at a cost, at a high price. Freedom usually takes quite a fight, doesn't it? It's not even usually a short fight. It's usually a long fight. And oftentimes people who are set free from things continue to fight for, to, to live as free. Because when you're used to living in bondage and then you're set free, there's still old patterns that you're used to living in. I mean, can you imagine if for generations your family had been slaves and then one day Emancipation Proclamation happens, uh, you're free. Do you think you just automatically the next morning wake up and start feeling free? That, you're, that you start living as a normal free person would live? Or does it not take years and even generations to begin to experience life as free? And so freedom, we're just, the note card comes early this week. We're saying from the outset today that no one walks in freedom by accident. They choose freedom on purpose. 
And that's kind of our, our topic today as we explore this passage from Galatians chapter 5 that begins with this verse that perhaps you've heard before. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Because people don't walk in freedom by accident. They choose freedom on purpose. Let's talk about being purposeful in our walk, in our lives, in our freedom. What Christ did for us, what he made available to us, is something that we could not have done ourselves. And yet, even so, freedom doesn't happen by accident for you. Yes, Jesus has done what had to be done, what we could not do on our own, and yet there's a part of this that we have to do that's up to you. You don't have the power to set yourself free, but don't kid yourself into thinking that freedom will come by accident without any effort on your part. That this Christian life will just blossom up within you without your lifting a finger in the process. God doesn't work that way. Look throughout Scripture. It's always His power that makes things happen, and yet He always expects partnership from the people that He's working in and through. And this is no different for me and for you. So this group of people that we know as Galatians, there's a, a region in that first century Roman Empire called Galatia. And churches in that region had been planted by the Apostle Paul and his friends as they took the gospel into territory that had never heard the gospel. Of course, just about no one had heard the gospel yet at that point. And so this was the very beginning of the gospel's journey. And, and so the Apostle Paul, I mean, this is just hard to imagine, but he just drops into town, shares the gospel, it takes root with a few people, he leaves them to carry on from the, that message that he had given them, and he moves on to plant the next church. And then eventually, he can't be everywhere at once, but he gets reports back on people, and then he begins to write letters to try and keep in touch and keep grounded all these brand new bodies of believers scattered across the Roman Empire that he can't pastor all at once, but his role is to start them and keep on starting them. The gospel has to be spread. And so as you can imagine, there's, uh, you know, problems with that model as far as, uh, you know, when you leave, I don't know, do you ever feel like this maybe at your job? Like you take one week off, you come back, they've ruined it. <laughs> I was gone for one week, people. One week. Uh, that never happens to me. But... I'm sure that the Apostle Paul felt like this on a regular basis. And uh, this was one of those cases where he's writing this letter to the Galatians and you can just feel his frustration. And, and it's not really at the Galatians themselves. He's more frustrated with the people who've come in and muddied the water for them. See, what happened was the Apostle Paul came and he brought the gospel and he shared how you're saved by faith. It's something that God does by His grace. 
It's not anything that you can earn, but instead, out of your experience of His forgiveness and out of the empowerment of His Holy Spirit, you begin to live in a new way, transformed into the image of Christ, into Christ-like love. This process begins in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And He leaves them with the Holy Spirit, and He leaves them entrusted to God with this gospel message, and He moves on. Well, they had come fresh out of a pagan religion in a pagan world that was very religious. I mean, it seems odd to us, this idea of pagan gods and idol worship and all this kind of thing seems so foreign and bizarre to us. But it was very much like most religions that you know about, including some ways that some people do Christianity as just a religion. And religions, the way they're designed, is, is more or less that you try to earn God's favor by following certain rules. Or you try to appease the gods, in their case, by jumping through certain hoops, right? If you, uh, if you do this act of worship, or you live in this way, then you might appease the gods, and they might prevent some disaster from befalling you. So in that sense, it's very much like the other religions of the world. Well the message that Paul brought was completely different. There are no hoops to jump through to earn God's favor. Jesus Christ has done it all. You become a new person in Christ and begin to live in a new way out of gratitude for what's been done for you. Not out of this necessity to earn God's favor or to prevent tragedy from befalling you or anything like that. It was a whole different mindset than what they had grown up with for generations and generations. Well, behind Paul, along come these, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, Jewish Christians that were still really into the whole Jewish thing. They were uh, the kind of people, as, as we've been saying around here sometimes, they, they practiced Judaism with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. That they you know, bought Jesus as the Messiah, but they still believed that you had to be Jewish in addition to being a Jesus follower. And so they would go around behind Paul and begin teaching these folks, well, no, if you really want to be a Christian, you need to jump through these hoops. And so you can imagine Paul's frustration as he plants these churches and then moves on and people come along behind them and start confusing the message. And the people are susceptible to this message because every religion they've ever known all their life, there were hoops that you had to jump through. And so when someone shows up and says, here's some hoops you need to jump through, they say, oh, this makes sense. Yeah, this is like every other religion we've ever known. This is like what we grew up with that makes sense to us, so we're going to buy into it. And the Apostle Paul is so frustrated. And one of the things that they wanted the Galatians to do was to get circumcised. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your dad when you get home. <laughs> I'll put that off on him. <laughs> But, basically, we're talking, it's not a comfortable process. And, and so people are beginning to buy into this thing, and I'm sure that there's frustration and tension, as most assuredly the adult men in the room did not want to do this, and yet here's these people telling them they have to jump through this hoop, and the Apostle Paul is furious, so furious that in this letter he, he actually says, if these people are so adamant about circumcision, I wish they'd go ahead and cut it all off. That's what he said. That's, an apostle of Jesus said that. I'm not being crude. <laughs> That's what. Can you imagine? That tells you one thing is we need to lighten up in church a little bit. <laughs> and, 
And for another, it gives you a, a sense of just how frustrated the Apostle Paul was that these people would come along and reapply this works gospel into, into the gospel. That they would corrupt the gospel by saying, you have to become Jewish. That you need to jump through this hoop. And so the Galatians, who had just been set free, begin to fall back into this slavery mindset. That they have to wear this yoke of, not yoke like an egg yoke, I said that like an egg yoke. Yoke like an oxen, like you're, you've got to do all this work to earn God's favor. And so this was the form of oppression that they were taking on themselves again. That they had to live under this burden. That they had to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C in order to earn God's favor. And the Apostle Paul is just sick about it. And he writes this letter. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. One thing that we note as we explore this passage is, is we find that it's important that we know what we're set free for. Or we'll end up falling back into what we were freed from. And so the Apostle Paul begins to share with them what they were set free for. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Like, yes, you're free from the law, but that doesn't mean that you get to just go and live your life however you want. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor as yourself. What are you set free for? We've been saying all along that, that we're set free to live the life that Christ that God designed us to live in the beginning. And what does that life look like? In one word, love. As, as Jesus defines it, not as the world defines it. People do some funny stuff in the name of love. But if you look at the way Jesus modeled love, the way he taught about love, the way his apostles described this kind of love, then you have a picture in one word of what it looks like to live free of what you were set free for. Because until you found freedom in Christ, until you step into this journey towards greater and greater freedom, then you will not experience what it means to live as truly loving. Look, if you are a slave to legalism, like they were struggling with in Galatia, you're just as self-centered as the people who are not trying to follow any laws at all. You know, we think of the people who are immoral. Who are just out there doing whatever their heart's desire, you know, springs up within them. Whatever they feel oriented towards or whatever that desire or passion they have or whatever uh, they want to do to gratify the desires of their flesh is the way Paul would say it. Uh, but, you know, man, I feel like going out and partying, so I'm going to go out and party. I feel like sleeping around, so I'm going to sleep around. I feel like looking at pornography, so I'm going to, like, whatever desire my flesh has, I'm going to do that. You know, I feel like drinking, so I'm going to drink. I feel like smoking, so I'm going to smoke. I feel like, you know, you name it. And, and we think of those as, well, you know, those are people who, uh, it's, a, it's a selfish thing. They're just trying to please themselves, and oftentimes at the expense of others, right? And certainly by ignoring God. And so that's an easy one for us to see. But actually, legalism is just as self-centered as that. Because it's still all about 
you. It's all about you doing these things so that you can earn God's favor. It's just a different manifestation of the same broken, warped heart that can't love. It's still not free to love. It's still caught up with self. And so the gospel is there to set us free. But you can't walk in freedom by accident. You choose freedom on purpose. So look at how Paul finishes this particular passage to the Galatians. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We're so used to that word crucify. But in Paul's day, it still was a very violent and graphic term. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in us, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's purposeful. Intentional. We have a choice to make. It's not going to happen by accident. So I want to talk practically for a minute. How we can choose freedom in our life. The first thing you can do is repent. That's a, maybe a churchy term, right? It just literally means to turn around and go the other way. To shut the door, walk away. Repent. It happens when we first come to faith in Christ, that we first recognize the truth for the truth. And it sparks that desire within us to shut the door on what we thought was true and to begin to live in light of what we now know is true. But it's not something that just stops there. It's a process. Because as we said at the beginning, someone who's been living under oppression one way or another for their whole life doesn't just begin to automatically live free. It's something they have to grow into. Even though they are free, they have to learn to live free. They have to learn those patterns. And so repentance is not just something that happens one time. Now when the Apostle Paul describes this, he uses pretty graphic terms. Uh, in, in his letter to the Romans he says that you, by the power of the Spirit, have to be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Here he literally says, crucify it. Murder it. Leave your old desires, your old way of thinking, your old life dead on the floor and walk away from it. Our study has tamed it down a little bit for you. And it just says, shut the door, right? Close the door. It uses that illustration. Close the door, lock the door, walk away. It's one of those things where you have to keep checking them. Like, at night, if I don't remember uh, if I check the doors or not, then I go back downstairs and I check the doors, right? I check the deadbolts. I mean, we've got a pretty safe neighborhood. We still check the <laughs> deadbolts. When I park a car, and I think I locked it, but I'm just not sure, 
I walk all the way back and I check it again. You do these kinds of things too. We, this is the same sort of thing in our, in our life. When we shut a door, it's good to check it every now and again. Because as soon as you're not careful, you'll look over there and it's cracked again. You say, how did that happen? Who opened that door again? And Satan will open that door any chance he gets. He's in the business of making sure that you stay trapped and enslaved and oppressed. So we repent. And the second thing we do is submit. So if you're wanting to, you've got space for notes on your card, and I don't have these on slides, so if you want to write them down, the first one's repent. Uh, that idea of shutting the door, walking away. The second one is submit. And that sounds kind of funny, perhaps, in a conversation about freedom. Because if you're free, you shouldn't have to submit to anything, right? That's a lie. Freedom always takes place in the context of boundaries. That there, there, there is no freedom outside of some sort of framework. Uh, otherwise, things go, you know, it's not good fast. What, what if everyone on the road were free tomorrow. They just took away all traffic laws. How free would you feel when you head out on the road tomorrow? <laughs> they just take down all the traffic lights and all the stop signs, take them all out. You're free. Go for it. <laughs> no, freedom is found in submitting to the right kinds of authority and to the right boundaries. And so who would you rather submit to? Your whims, your desires, a sort of chaotic free-for-all that the world embraces, do what seems right to you, or submitting to the one who designed all this, including you, and says, here's how you operate at maximum capacity. Here's how you operate at maximum peace. That's freedom. Repent, submit, and resist is the third thing. Repent, submit, resist. But not in your own power. Not in your own authority. The amazing thing is when you come to Christ in faith, you put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, the gospel teaches us that then you are, are reconciled to God by faith, not by anything you did. In that moment, you are reconciled to a right relationship with God. He calls you his child. It's like adoption, completely legal, you are fully his child, a co-heir with Christ, brothers and sisters in this family. And with that comes authority, and with that comes his Holy Spirit, he says, to work within you and to work through you. His Holy Spirit. And so you have both authority and power 
in your life that you did not have before. Some days you're not going to feel it. And yet, by faith, we know that we have it. Even on the days when we don't feel it. And so that is how we can resist with effectiveness. Whereas before we failed. Even the most disciplined person is not going to be disciplined in everything. They're not going to have it all together. They're not going to be able to win every battle. Now some battles take a long time to win. But with the Holy Spirit's power and with the authority that He's given you, you can claim freedom and you can walk into freedom and you can pursue freedom in an effective way. It's possible by the power of His Spirit. It's not just something we have to wait for heaven for. It's something that you can pursue now. In fact, in a sense, I believe that this life is sort of... Uh, this discipleship journey that you're on is sort of a, a training ground. Because we're told that one day we're going to reign with Christ. And you may be in charge of setting a whole... Like something that would be really intimidating to you right now. You may be in charge someday of setting something really big right. And you'll have an idea of how to do it. Because you've experienced setting things right by His power in your own life already. This is like training ground for your future in Christ. So we repent. We shut the door. We walk away. We check the door. We walk away. We submit to His authority. And we resist using that authority and the power of Jesus Christ at work in us. So I don't know what it is that you... Uh, deal with you know sometimes like I say when we hear the word oppression we think of you know the worst case scenario um, you know people who are really struggling with addictions I'm going to share in a moment about a friend of mine that that's the case for for him that's his struggle but oppression can take a lot of different forms so if you think about in your life areas where you don't feel like you're in control where what you want to do doesn't seem to happen. Like you know what you should do and yet you can't seem to do it. Chances are that's a case of oppression in this sense of that word. That you are under pressure to behave in a way or to live in a way or to think in a way or to feel in a way that is not Christ-like. And even though you know how you ought to think, or how you ought to feel, or how you ought to act, you struggle to do it. This could be with anxiety in your life. This could be with uh, low self-esteem in your life. This could be with uh, anger and temper in your life. This could be with lust issues in your life. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, substance abuse or whatever that we often think of as being uh, in a situation of oppression. But in any case, where you know what you ought to do and yet you struggle to do it, this is how you fight the fight. You repent. You submit to God's truth. And you begin to resist in His power. It may be something that 
in his strength you tackle it this week and you're done with it from then on you're just checking the door or it may be something that you have to struggle with alongside Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's power for years before you've truly gained freedom from it but this is the process whether it takes a day a week or a year you repent you submit you resist because no one walks in freedom by accident we choose freedom on purpose I've got a friend uh, named Lewis and this is me baptizing Lewis in the lake of the Ozarks a little over five years ago and, uh, and then this is Lewis today with his wife and daughter uh, Lewis grew up in a house with a uh, alcoholic father and at the age of about like 13 or 14 if I remember right uh, Lewis was already caught up in addiction lived his whole life with that and uh, what began as alcohol turned into drugs as well and he would say when, when he came to Christ you know that uh, there hadn't really hardly been a day that he had been really sober other than maybe when he was in prison I'm assuming that they didn't provide him with much there but so he had had a kind of a rough life you know and, and he chose Christ but even then it's just been in the last couple of years that he's begun to to win huge victories against still struggles with alcohol and drug abuse that would crop back up in his life and I just looked on Facebook a little bit and saw a few things that he was posting and wanted to share a few of his words today because I think that again no matter where you're at with what kind of oppression you're dealing with we can look to someone like Lewis who has the deck stacked against them and see the progress that they're making through this process of pursuing freedom in Christ and have hope that we in whatever it is that we're dealing with can also find success in Christ Lewis wrote I cannot help but think back two years ago when I had two adult daughters that I barely even knew and a seven-year-old at home that just needed a daddy even just part-time and I couldn't keep a needle out of my arm for more than a day or a bottle of vodka for that fact you've got to remember brothers and sisters who are in addiction or oppression we didn't get this way overnight he writes I played the script for 37 years and I've only been trying to get it right for a few years you know a couple of years so here's a cold hard truth about my recovery from meth and from alcohol if I was ever going to be successful with a life of recovery I had to understand what I was doing to everyone around me I had to experience this on a personal level to such a degree that I would become physically emotionally and mentally ill from even thinking of the idea of using drugs and alcohol and that I would repel from them like a hand on a hot wood stove in the future he said that he actually has to like visualize the worst case scenarios 
And this is, this is part of his journey towards resisting this. That he has to just picture in his mind the worst case scenarios playing out upon those that he loves and cares about and, and internalize that to such a degree that when the temptation faces him again, he's repelled by it because of those images in his mind that he's had to think about. That's a strategy that he's used to resist. You'll have to find strategies to resist as well. He writes this encouragement. He says, give yourself a break, man or woman of faith. God is not done with you yet. He's going to use your testimony to save someone's life. You can bet on it. You're a warrior. You're a soldier. You know what sets us apart is when we fall, we get back up. And we get back up. And we fight. And we fight the fight. So get back up and dust yourself off. Put your chin back up and keep fighting like I know you can. And that's him now encouraging others who are fighting that same battle. And it should be an encouragement to us. Because no matter what battle you're fighting, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be times where you're frustrated. Why can't I get ahead in this thing? Why do I keep falling back into this pattern that I know I shouldn't be in? And so we keep fighting the fight for freedom. We keep repenting. And we keep submitting. And we keep resisting. And over time, and by God's grace, and by His strength, and His sufficient power in our lives, we begin to walk in greater and greater freedom. And if that can happen for Lewis, who had been trapped in oppression for 37 years, from the time he was a kid, it can happen for any of us. Most recently, he posted a little video with uh, his daughter, who has asked him to stop chewing, too. (laughs) So he said, all right, I'm giving that up, too. (laughs) She's my accountability partner. And so he's just on a journey towards freedom, one thing at a time. Knocking them off the list. And that's the way we live our lives in Christ. I'm running out of time, but I heard this the other day and I I thought it was interesting. People, you know, often look at at Christians, maybe you've heard this criticism, like if if Christianity is real, then why do a lot of Christians look not so much better than other moral people that aren't Christians? You ever hear that one? Like there's people who aren't Christians and they're, you know, pretty moral people and then you've got Christians who are kind of sometimes a mess. And so if Christianity really works, uh, then how, you know, how do you square that? And, and this thing I was reading this week was saying, uh, well, look, let's, let's put things in context too. I mean, Christianity has always appealed to and always been addressed to the people in the worst case scenarios the people who know that they don't have it together. The people who definitely don't have it together. It's oftentimes the people in our society that, you know, live pretty good lives and feel like they have it together that are the ones that are the most resistant to Christianity in the first place. And so what you actually have to do is, is look at individual lives to determine whether Christianity works. You have to look at a life and say, okay, here's a guy... His life's a complete wreck. Disaster. I mean, he's careening towards death. It's a wonder he's not dead already. And look at how far he's come. Now, you know, he's still struggling to quit chewing tobacco. 
So you might say, well, look at this person over here that, you know, they don't have that problem. They're looking pretty good and they don't uh, even, you know, know Jesus. Okay. Fine. Where'd they start? <laughs> What'd they start with? If you want to ask, does, does this thing work? Then find for yourself people who are sincerely living as disciples of Jesus and pursuing the life that Jesus offers and ask yourself how it's working for them. Or better yet, determine in your own life to pursue the Jesus life. Put your faith in the gospel and discover for yourself whether or not it leads to a freedom that you perhaps didn't even recognize you needed or didn't believe was possible. Here's the deal, dads and moms. When we begin to walk in freedom on purpose, then our kids will see the love of Christ in us and have a great chance of finding freedom themselves. And grandma and grandpa, the same for you. Aunts, uncles. Anyone with influence with anyone. When you begin to pursue freedom, there's a chance that your journey will inspire someone else to find freedom. Same for us as a church. Our pursuit of freedom can inspire those around us and in our community. And we can make a difference just by taking care of business and the authority and power of Christ at work in us. Let's pray that that'll happen. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for granting us the authority, even now, to choose freedom in the powerful name of Jesus. God, the oppression that we face, whatever shape or size it takes in each of our individual lives, is a, is a daunting enemy, and it's difficult to overcome. Holy Spirit, remind us that we have a choice in the matter. Teach us to live in repentance and submission to the Spirit every day. Be at work within us, O oh God, by your power and might. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.